This is the Horse Radio Network. Horse show costs can be daunting depending on the level you ride at. But are we pricing out some competitors with all these exorbitant fees? This week, we're sharing stories on some of the dumbest things we've done for horses and just dishes on how to handle working in the barn while managing morning sickness. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome Welcome to Happy Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wozniaka. Welcome to episode 58 of Heels Down Happy Hour. Hey, guys. Hi. Bad. Finally getting to be cooler weather, which is nice. So getting to be able where we can stay out longer and it's actually like not having to get done by 12 o'clock every day. So that's nice. I know. Actually, your pictures from Tryon over this last week, I know you guys were out there. Like, it actually looked like you had fall colors in the trees and stuff, and I was very jealous. (laughs) I know. We're starting to get, like, seasons and everything. It's so nice. You guys are, like, a month behind, but that's Uh, all right. (laughs) (laughs) No. We're catching up. Hopefully not too fast. We, We like to keep it this way, so... Well, this episode is brought to you guys by Wall, and this week we're going to kind of talk about Wall's Cremando Lithium Clippers, and these are a five-in-one adjustable blade, and basically it combines the power and durability with a lithium-ion battery, and I got to tell you, these are some of the best clippers. We have, they're lightweight, they're cordless. You can basically go and charge them, and you can use them for like 90 minutes of runtime, and they work. We bring these clippers in our like kind of medicine box with us and it's so easy. Like they've got different guards. You can do everything else. And we have a similar pair that actually Doug uses for himself. He like stole so many times from Courtney that he loves his wall clippers. So he actually, we had to buy him a pair specifically for him so that he could use as like his, you know, for his face, for actually Doug's face. So he uses the wall horse clippers for his um, face. Yes. We, wow. So we use the wall horse clippers, the bigger set, not this set that I was just talking about, but we have the bigger set that Courtney would have to tell you exactly which ones. But we have the wall set that we use that aren't cordless that we can clip their bodies with. And then we wanted something that was cordless that we could stick in the medicine box and it would stay charged and we could just kind of touch up their bridle pass, their muzzles, their ears, everything else. And so one day Doug forgot his razor or his own like clippers. And so he started using Courtney's. And so Courtney's like, um, and he's like, these are amazing. I really like them. So we had to buy him some. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. Well, that's a pretty good endorsement. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, we're not even sponsored by wall. So this episode is brought to you guys, but we love our wall clippers. So come and try them out like we did and go to visit wallanimal.com that's w-a-h-l-a-n-i-m-a-l.com to get you guys some so our drink this week is from mary ellen in our facebook group it's called the black widow smash which i just appreciate a quality name like that very halloweeny so you guys will need eight fresh blackberries plus like a couple more for topping one to two teaspoons of fresh rosemary plus a sprig for serving, juice from about half a lemon, 
one to two teaspoons of honey, one and a half to two ounces of tequila or mezcal, right? Which we already talked about (laughs) in a later (laughs) episode, earlier episode, Uh, a couple dashes of orange bitters and sparkling water for topping. So what you guys will do is take a cocktail shaker or like a glass jar, add the blackberries, the rosemary, the lemon juice, and the honey. Muddle all those ingredients together, like squishing everything to really like get all the good stuff. You know what I mean? And then you're going to add the tequila and the orange bitters. Then you add ice to your glass, strain the drink over the ice, top the glass with a little more ice, pour the sparkling water over, and gently stir it to get like everything mixed together. And garnish with fresh rosemary. This drink sounds so good. And it would be like a really cute drink to have if you were having like a Halloween party, I feel like. Yeah, that sounds excellent. I like this one a lot. This is a good suggestion. So thank you, Mary Ellen. All right, guys, before we roll into news this week, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of our Heels Down greats. And if you're not a Heels Down great and you want to become one, these are our favorite people because they support this podcast. Earlier last month, we launched a campaign uh, for donors to help support Heels Down Happy Hour as we roll into our third year next year, if you can believe it. Um, I can't. And you guys have been really wonderful with with your support and, and being ready and willing to, to donate. So we just want to thank a few of you. I know for several of you people, I've danced for you. Like Ellie, your mom, <laughs> Joyce, I, sh- I shaked my booty to Gunham style for her in my backyard. <laughs> she was really thrilled with it. Honestly, she okay, loved good. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> my poor husband was like, watch, you know, he, I told him like, here are all the songs I have to dance to. And he was like, so you actually get paid to do this as I'm like, Catherine Becker asked me to dance to call me maybe. And <laughs> I'm sitting there with my dog in my backyard and he's just shaking his head, trying to keep the camera still. So <laughs> it so was thanks, really Catherine. cute. <laughs> yeah. And also Sally Teague, I danced to push it for you. So thanks for that one. Um, but also I know you guys have done a few shout outs for a couple of our heels down greats. Yeah, Sarah Varney, I did a great shout out. It was awesome. But mine were not as nearly as interesting as Justine's. Mine were a lot more PC, but I still appreciate all of you guys that I did shout outs to because I thankfully did not have to dance to any of that. So I appreciate (laughs) you guys and I'm going to let the dancing stick with Justine. Oh my gosh. I still have more songs to dance to. So I can't wait. Stay tuned to our Instagram because no shame. Hopefully no one from my other world of journalism jobs see this. So I'm sure they have. I just, I want more people to shout out for Justine to dance because she (laughs) will keep going. So you guys keep donating away and Justine will tell you exactly how to make sure you donate. Exactly. So we have a PayPal account. We will share the link in our show notes today if you're still interested in donating. And we also created a Patreon. So if you want to maybe donate a little bit less, but want to be a recurring donor, you're more than welcome to join our Patreon account. But also if you donate 40 or $75, we have a lot of goodies. You'll get stuff in return. And that's not just me dancing on the internet. Aless Jordan Gunderson, who we've had on the show before, she's a Grand Prix dressage rider. She is giving away virtual 
flat lessons with her if you donate $75 to the show. So there are some perks if you considered it and you weren't sure. Now's a good time to donate. And again, check the show notes. We'll give you all the details. All right, Ellie, what do you got for news? Okay, so my news this week is actually inspired by Berkeley and Batman, who decided to free themselves from my indoor arena while I turned them out this past week, and they ransacked my whole barn aisle. But anyway, German researchers have proven that horses can indeed figure out how to unlock and open doors. I just have to read this quote from the article for you guys because I just think it's insane. The team identified 408 horses capable of opening nearly 600 kinds of closing mechanisms. They managed to break through 43 twist locks, 40 carabiner, like the rock climbing clips, and even two locks with keys. They released 260 horizontal bars, 155 vertical bars, 42 door handles, and 34 electric fence handles. About half the horses could open at least two kinds of mechanisms, and some could open as much as five at four different locations. I just think that's insane. I don't really understand how they would open locks with keys. Like, that's some kind of horse voodoo, but that's, (laughs) I can't believe it. They also said that it was interesting because the horses, like, if they were in a stall that, like, where the condition wasn't really like ideal for them. They found that they would do more unlocking, but tried that like they were less creative with how they tried to get out, I guess, versus like if they were outside with like unlimited grazing ability and out with a group, they would be more creative, but try to get out less. So I thought that was really interesting. And they say it's not, the result of like social learning from watching other, you know, Houdini horses, it's by like figuring it out on their own, like watching us do it and then figuring out how to adapt it to like you to open it with their mouths and their tongues. Wow. I mean, I am, I've seen this firsthand. I have naughty horses who can do this too, but it is really interesting to see it from a research perspective. Like, yeah, they're smarter than we think. Right. (laughs) So yeah, that's, just, I mean, that's a lot of locks. I don't even know if I could get out of that many locks. Like, no, I definitely I, couldn't have. And I have thumbs, so I just, like, that's really impressive. What about you, Jess? I have exciting news. The Irish show jump team qualified them for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, which is really, really exciting because they had one last chance in Barcelona this past weekend. And so basically there was one Olympic spot up for grabs and they did it. And that's the first time that they've had a qualifying show jump team since Athens in 2004. And so now they obviously don't know who they'll take to the Olympics next year, but they at least have a team that they can go to Japan with. And the other exciting news for Ireland is this is the first time in history Ireland will be representing the Olympic Games with full teams and eventing dressage and show jumping. So cheers to them because I know it's a lot of pressure. You know, Doug just kind of had the same thing with qualifying the U.S. at the Pan Ams. There were only like, you know, two spots there for grabs. So we are really excited that Ireland has now got all three disciplines going to the Olympics next year. That's awesome. No, it was really cool to watch them clinch that win. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Justine, what do you have? 
So I have a great story. The Queen of England is looking to hire a horse person who will get to train and take care of her horses. And you get to live at Buckingham Palace. Wow. Uh, I know, right? So I guess that the royal family posted a job ad, (laughs) essentially, (laughs) for a new full-time equestrian person who, you know, obviously understands the care needs and some training needs for her uh, wide-ranging number of horses and you know i was just in london i was just in uh at the buckingham palace over the summer and uh, you know we watched some of the you know ceremony proceedings that happen there regularly and it is amazing how many horses they have in the city it's just she has a ton of horses so this job you would actually get to live at buckingham palace for free that comes as a perk of the job and you would make about twenty two thousand four hundred pound a year I don't know if that's a livable wage in London. I feel like London's a pretty expensive city, but I guess if you're living there for free. And so they posted the job in September. Job is still open until uh, October 10th. And yeah, they want somebody who has some yard working experience uh, and obviously can be a rider as well. So if you want to work for the queen and care for her beautiful horses (laughs) and live at Buckingham Palace, you can apply. If you don't already subscribe to the Heels Down Brief, Heels Down Mag's daily email newsletter, you really should. It's the one email news blast that puts horses first 24-7. We share all kinds of great news, especially all the articles we write at heelsdownmag.com. But then anything from culture to health to weird science to all kinds of strange but interesting cultural pieces... It's a really great email to start your day with. You'll feel like you're ready to take on happy hour and have really interesting factoids to share with your coworkers. And so you should sign up by going to bit.ly slash HD brief. So I wanted to talk to you guys about this bag that I just got. It's an Oak Barton Chrome handbag. And I got the shoulder bag that is so stinking cute. Like it is the perfect size, like, stick just the necessities of like your wallet, your phone and your keys kind of in it, like for a night out, but the leather on it, have you guys seen this? It's amazing. Oh, it's beautiful. I got one too. Ellie, you got one, right? Yes, I have one. Yes. I have the dark Havana Brown one. It's so nice. Oh, it's so pretty. It's beautiful. It smells so good too. Yeah. It smells like a saddle, like a brand new saddle. (laughs) I like having that smell with me. It's like a security comfort. <laughs> but just I love with it the too. Lining, yeah. Like with the attention to detail between like, you know, the magnetic stirrup clasp and I love the fabric that's in the inside, like the herringbone fabric. So I just, I think it's precious. Like, and it's such a good looking bag. It really is, but it's not overly flashy, right? Because I'm not someone no. who wants like a very flashy bag, but it's very equestrian themed, like you said. Like even the attention to detail on the buckles of the strap, you know, mimic a bridle. And I've gotten a ton of compliments everywhere I've brought it. I'm actually I'm going to a wedding in Atlanta this weekend and it matches I got the the navy bag. It's like a navy color. Oh, leather. that'd be really pretty, yeah. And with the with like the gold accents on it and it matches this dress I'm wearing for this wedding and it's just perfect for like a wedding like you said like a night out because it will hold my my wallet it'll hold my phone and my keys but then it's not a big bag that I'm lugging around at an event like a wedding but it's beautiful it like even the stitching on it everything about it is just it's a it's a really nice gift you know what I mean if you're looking for a gift for like because my mom right 
my mom's not an equestrian, but she saw the bag and she was like, wow, that's a really nice bag. Like she even commented on it. Like she would use it. Huh. So it's, yeah. Yeah. It's that's really what cool. I like about it. It's like just the right amount of horsey. It's not like over the top horsey, like horse people will get it, but even like other people will still like it, you know? Mm-hmm. No, it's just a well-made bag. And like, Ellie, I was going to say it smells like a saddle too. When I opened it, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so nice, the leather. So if you're looking for, you know, a bag for you or even as a gift, I would really recommend it because it's pretty durable too. I've used it quite a bit and I was worried about scuffing it up, but you can clean it up like you clean your saddle up, you know? you can. Yeah, like- and it's made with that like top grain leather, which like looks even more beautiful as it's worn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it just like gets better with age, like, like a good wine. Exactly. Yeah. It's a beautiful bag. So if you're in the market for one, you can check them out at Oak Bark, which is O-A-K-B-A-R-K and Chrome, Chrome, C-H-R-O-M-E.com. All right, guys. So I'm really excited to introduce our next guest. Erin Gilmore is a photojournalist and journalist who has covered some of the biggest events in equestrian sports across the globe. Erin is a hunter-jumper rider based in Northern Virginia, and if you recognize her byline, that's because she's a regular contributor at Heelstone Mag. Welcome, Erin. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So a few of the last articles you've written for us focus really on really drilling down on how expensive it is to horse show, just generally. If you want to go to a rated show, you're going to drop, what, like two grand for a weekend? And can you talk a little bit more about your experience? You know, do you just, do you feel horse shows are becoming too expensive? I, yes, the, they've been too expensive for a long time, for as long as I've been riding, but I've always ridden on a budget. And especially now as an adult responsible for my own income, my own horse, I think I feel it even more. And horse showing has become more expensive. I don't really know when it started becoming the way it is today, but we can look at now our American system of a circuit showing as $2,000, I think is maybe a middle of the road estimate. I kind of just threw that number out there recently, but people are spending way more than that on amateur competition to show for a week with all the fees and then all of the uh, trainer costs and barn costs that they treat as normal now. Yeah, absolutely. So in what you've written for us at Heels Down Mag has been why you've chosen just basically to show at schooling shows. Can you talk more about that? Do you feel like schooling shows are beginning to fill a void? Like, are they they kind of marketing to that priced out amateur? Yeah, 100%. And I mean, I saw that with personal experience um, riding at the schooling show near me all summer long. And I decided to show there and support that show, not only because it was very close to me, but because of the cost. I knew that I am not a person who has access to a full-time trainer or full-time training program. And I know as an amateur rider, I'm realistic about my own ability and my own horse. And I knew I was going to go out there and make mistakes and it wasn't going to be perfect. And I wanted to enjoy it anyway. And I didn't want to be so stressed out about how costly my mistakes were that I couldn't enjoy it, whether it went right or it went wrong. So that kind of desire on a personal level combined with wanting to see this amazing facility, Morven Park, that we have in Leesburg, Virginia, be utilized 
the best way it can be. It just led me to really try and throw all my support behind that particular schooling show. But uh, when I wrote the article in May, it was so easy to find other examples, similar show series all around the country. And I do feel like it is growing. Is it going to make an impact on a Yousef show realistically? No, not for a while. Not, not Maybe not ever. But uh, for writers like me, it's great to have an option. Well, it's interesting you say that because so we are based in Aiken, South Carolina right now, and we have been year round. And the schooling shows that they have here are amazing. And sometimes they get bigger numbers than even the Yousef shows because a lot of the local people come around and they've got money at like the derbies and little like, you know, meet our 20 like classic classes. So we're seeing a lot of like same thing. It's just affordable. And they have at the schooling show here in Aiken, we do a lot in the winter as well. We're actually going to one this weekend at PSJ. It's just great. Like to take the babies out, to take the other horses out. You know, we've got people go ride the horses. They can come in for the weekend. Our clients love it and they don't have to worry about, you know, through the week being there with work. It's always on the weekends. And then same thing, like they've got, they've got the finals and everything else with these small shows. So you're seeing a lot of the clients happy to do these schooling shows and taking the event horses over. Some of our event horses go over and you're not having to pay all the fees. Yeah, that, and that's exactly what we experienced here in our little series is going to grow and be locally recognized next year and have more rings because um, there was that simple demand for it. Okay. So this is more of an observation than a question for anybody, but going off of what you're describing, Aaron, and even just what you just described, what you're seeing in Aiken, you know, as someone who's an amateur rider, you know, I, I have a off the track thoroughbred and he's a hunter and he's a competitive hunter at the schooling level. But you know, I bought this horse on a budget. My goal would be to show him at a rated show one day, but you know, I'm not someone who's going to be able to afford that all the time. Right. So do you, you know, what, what is that in between market? You know, someone who clearly has the funds to own a horse and campaign a horse, but not campaign at that level. Like, Jess, as a trainer, how do you find horse show circuits that kind of fit the budget and are still competitive, but aren't at that out of reach level, like what we're talking about? I mean, for me, we just basically go and customize it to the particular person. So like we said, like, we'll go to these schooling shows and do those. And then if the horse needs a bit more atmosphere, we'll go to the one show. Like maybe you just pick and choose kind of what Yousef show or whatever else we do. Or we kind of stick to the schooling or school them at different venues. Like it kind of basically just depends on what the person wants. And maybe it's they go hard for a month and then they are light for a couple months, you know. So it just kind of, you know, maybe then they go board the horse and it's not. Because most of ours are in full training. So we kind of customize that, you know, maybe someone comes in for a month or two and we hit the show circuit hard and then they go and train on it at home for a bit and then it kind of minimizes cost. So Aaron, what do you think that like everything that we've been talking about, like what does that mean for the talent pool, I guess, of rising, you know, young equestrian men and women, you know, it's a trend that most of the younger talent comes from, come from rich parents or parents who used to ride, you know, can we, do you think with the way that the shows are, priced right now that a hardworking student from a less affluent background can aspire to be a top show jumper? Like, can we expect 
another Eric Lamaze story or is that kind of out of the picture right now? See, this is the part where I don't want to seem bitter or jaded. And I feel like it's ironic because the most passionate people who work the hardest with their own horses and look up to the top of the sport and follow the top of the sport uh, as fans are the least likely to ever make it. You're right. We have the children of very wealthy billionaires representing our country now on a regular basis more than a hardworking professional does. I looked at the Nations Cup selection for Hickstead this year, and it was three riders under 25, none of whom have ever held a job but have their own barns because they're fully funded by their families, along with one professional who's been working in the sport for over 40 years. And that is our U.S. equestrian team pattern in show jumping. It's not really like that in eventing. It's not so much like that in dressage. This is this is unique to show jumping. So the hardworking professional who wants to some, someday get up there has a harder chance than ever. Maybe a more realistic question is, does the young professional who wants to excel have a chance to show nationally or compete and make money at a national a circuit level i think there's maybe a little more wiggle room in that i have friends who are professionals or own their own businesses and i see them being more inclusive to the people who need a you know a leg up and want to learn and want to step into their shoes and that that kind of makes me feel more optimistic. I'm thinking of one case of a friend who's a professional in California who's a, you know, invited her assistant to really be a partner in her business and not just a person who works their butt off for nothing. So the more we can find those in- instances, the better. I'm trying to kind of veer away from saying, yeah, the, the, the top Olympic level is out of reach for anyone unless you're Springsteen or Bloomberg or very close to that on the income bracket. <laughs> so what about for the amateur level? I mean, do you feel like is the answer just non-use of shows now? You know, just looking for alternatives, something more affordable? Yeah, for people who make 50 to 75 or even maybe $80,000 a year, it, it hurts to say you know, WEF will cost me $5,000 a week or a circuit show will cost me $3,000 a week. I don't think you're going to find a person who has a career and rises as an amateur, you know, like I said, willing to spend that money without it hurting, without cringing at your show bell. The schooling shows are great. They, and they are schooling shows. It's not the same atmosphere as, you know, as you were saying, the bigger shows that you could maybe pinpoint and, I see people using it as a a stepping stone. And I also saw this season at my show that people are using it for their green horses or their green riders. And um, I saw some of those same riders at an A-Circuit show uh, last month doing great. Um, And you could see that they'd use the schooling shows to really get their practice in. There's a place for it, for sure. I wish that we could evolve to be kind of being a bridge that was USEF-supported. But Yusuf is is frustrating for sure. To put it lightly. <laughs> so, Aaron, I know this year, you know, you were historically a jumper rider, and you took your horse in the hunters. So, it you know that seems like a natural step to try, you know, test the waters at a schooling circuit. Do you one? Do you like the hunters? And two, uh, do you see yourself ever showing at a rated show in the hunters, given 
your experience over the last year? I did actually go and show at Upperville in June. Okay. Uh, and I, I, I got up at 4 a.m. I pulled my horse out of the pasture. I drove him to the show myself an hour. I went and schooled him in the ring at 6. I literally did every single step myself. I had a friend come and braid him. And I felt the lack of a full training program 100% and felt totally outclassed. And it was a great learning experience, but I could see and feel what it would have been like if I'd had a professional ride him two days before and he had spent the week at the show. And I did, I did him in the hunters at that. And I rode in the hunters. Yeah. All season and at this schooling show, mostly because my horse is older and I didn't want to uh, use him up too much in the jumpers. Hunters are punishing. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> yes, yes <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> have a great ride and feel like you just put down a great round and, uh, and lose because you were actually too short to one fence or you were too fast in your four stride line. So it was humbling. It was very, very humbling. It was a good lesson. And, you know, my own mental strength as a rider and trying to keep it together. And I, I went off course at my last show, even though it was like my eighth show of the season, you can never just work too hard or, or slow down your mind enough. So Yes, I'll, I will show him in the Hunters again next year, and I will work even harder and um, try and make smarter decisions on my own preparation because it's up to me and it's up to my amazing friend who I share a barn with, who is my advisor and, you know, my barn manager and the person I ask every question to. But uh, I don't put down $2,000 a month for a full-time training program. And if I did do that and I looking back at eight shows and never having won a class, I would have a very different feeling about it than I do sitting here now, having gotten my miles in at a schooling show. Totally. And I feel like there's no shame in that. You know, you should enjoy the schooling show. That's what it's for, right? Yes. I mean, I will enjoy every show I go to and, you know, my, uh, my Upperville show bill was $300 for one day, which on the A circuit means you've basically gotten away for free, right? Yeah. So <laughs> spending $300 to lose versus spending $90 to lose and doing more classes um, is a big difference. I would not be going to an A circuit show every week, even on a tiny budget doing everything myself, just to know I'm not good enough. I hear you. Well, hey, Aaron, it's been really great. Thanks so much for joining us. And you want to hear more from Aaron? Like we said, she's a regular contributor at HeelsDownMag.com. And so keep an eye out for her byline. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, guys. Do blankets have you feeling lost? Let the experts at SmartPack help. Whether you need help choosing the perfect blanket for your horse or are looking for tips on clipping, SmartPack has you covered. Check out the complete blanketing guide at smartpackequine.com. So, guys, I've been thinking since Justine's article on buying beer for Mikey that I've done quite a few dumb things for horses. Have you guys got any embarrassing or stupid moments? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's hear it, Ellie. I'm I'm excited to hear yours. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I've got. I've I've got a couple, but the first and probably the weirdest would be that, so I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but my boyfriend, Matt collects like antique rifles and stuff. uh, And he's been 
getting into handguns. And I got really annoyed one day because Berkeley pulled off a shoe running around in the pasture because he got spooked because Matt was shooting. So I made him go and buy a silencer for his pistol, <laughs> um, <Okay>. <laughs> which one, they're like $700. Um, two, people who buy silencers are like people who are going to kill people. <laughs> um, so there's like a lot of like paperwork and, you know, questions that get asked when you go to buy a silencer and we had to drive like two hours from our house to go get it and it was just kind of a big mess but uh and they were like oh like what do you what are you getting the silencer for and i was like so he doesn't scare my horses anymore so that's the good one i like yeah, that story one of many what do you got Jess? so i mean i haven't particularly like i'm sure i've done a lot of stupid stupid things but I was trying to talk to Doug the other day and I was like, you know, I mean, basically we always like joke because horses, you know, you'll get there and most of the time they're like big heartbreakers, right? Like you're trying to get them ready for a big show and then they like, you know, blow an abscess or something else. So they're just, they're very humbling animals. So every time I feel like that's kind of, you know, the dumb is that we put in our trust to them that we're going to get them to the top and everything else. And then they decide to like show us differently. But I was talking to Doug and I was like, you know, what is kind of what's stupid that we've done like with the horses and everything. And he goes, the fact that we thought that we could make a really like a good living off this, that was pretty dumb. <laughs> like, All right. Very well, true. <laughs> touche. Yep. touche. That was this very impressive, but I don't know. I mean, I think overall, I'm pretty sure we drive up and down the East coast and we, you know, give it all because we love them so much. So I think that in itself is kind of, you know, special that we, you know, no one in the real world understands what we do for the, like, they don't understand why we do all of this for the horses. And it's because we truly love them and we love the sports. So I think, you know, because we're passionate about it, I think in a sense, that's probably pretty special in itself. Good point. Nice humbling moment there. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, well, they make us really humble. All right, Ellie, I want to hear some more because it sounds okay. like you got a few. What else you got? All right. Well, I've got I've got another good one. And I don't know if I've mentioned I think I've mentioned it before. But so at a place I was boarding, Berkeley was like really unhappy. And he's like the the chillest. I mean, he's half Clyde stills, for God's sake. So he's like super go with the flow, let me eat my food and sleep and poop. That's all I want. So I was at a boarding in a facility and he was a wreck. Like he was throwing himself into walls. He was like pawing really bad. He lost 50 pounds in the span of like two months. And I was like treating him for ulcers. I tried like Sozen. I tried like herbal stuff and nothing was working. And so I called an animal psychic to talk to my horse to figure out what was wrong with him. She's pretty cool, though. Pretty legit. She was on Animal Planet, so I think that gives you credibility. So, yeah, I called an animal psychic, and I bring it up a lot in conversation with normal people, like non-horse people. And it really, <laughs> it really embarrasses Matt. That I tell him that I've, I, because I told Matt, I was like, I will get you, you can talk to Nemo. And he's like, I have no desire to know what he has to say I was like, this is oh. not happening <laughs> okay oh my but gosh what about you justine 
I feel like there's more than just buying beer for Mikey. Well, I've also enlisted the help of an animal communicator. We had a whole episode about that, Ellie, actually. But I know I've probably, I think I've talked about this before, at least alluded to it. But when I was horseless after high school and in college and immediately after, I would peruse Craigslist ads to look for opportunities to ride because I was just a broke newspaper reporter. I had no money to afford a horse and I was just lugging around my saddle in an old tack trunk, every new city I moved to when I got a new job. And so, yeah, literally like to get my horse fix, I would respond to those really terrible Craigslist ads that were like in search of experienced horseback rider for half broke, whatever the F backyard horse. And so I would respond to those then have a dialogue or phone conversation with this person, then drive out to the middle of freaking nowhere and uh, like pray to God that I was not going to be like chopped up into little pieces and buried in someone's backyard. And then once I got past that point, we're like, okay, this person's not going to murder me in their, you know, middle of nowhere property. Will I die trying to ride this crazy horse (laughs) that they're looking for somebody to put miles on? I did that for years, like literally years, like four years of my life. That's how I I rode horses. And I alive and I survived to tell you, please don't ever do that. Like, seriously, just don't ever do it. No, I still can't believe you've told this story before. And I still can't believe you didn't get murdered off Craigslist going there. Me too. There are a few, like there are a few farms that I can, or like not farms, like just a horse living in someone's backyard that I can remember showing up to as like a, you know, like a 20 something year old and going, this is fine. (laughs) I'm sure it's fine. It's really not. But you know, I, I've been lucky where it actually led to some good opportunities for me too. So um, you had to put up with the crazy, I think a little bit to, to find the gem in those situations, but Hey, so well, you know, you know, Holly, she, Holly Payne, my sister-in-law would buy horses sight unseen off YouTube. And one of them was, oh God, oh. and one of them was Fox, her like five-star horse. Wow. She bought Fox off of a YouTube video. They were swimming him in, she'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. I think they were swimming him in a pond or something and she bought him. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, but that could have gone so terribly wrong, right? (laughs) Oh, a hundred percent could have gone wrong. So, I mean, and some of them did. So I still don't recommend you (laughs) buy videos sight unseen off YouTube, but like, you're probably not going to get it, but yeah, it's, it's been special. So that's definitely a moment that we won't forget. So when this, when the story published on heelsdownmag.com, I asked, uh, you know, our, our listeners in our Facebook group, like, Hey, do you guys have any dumb stories? And that thread is pretty funny. So if you're in the Facebook group, which is the Heels Down Happy Hour podcast lounge, you should really look them up because there are a few that I really, really laughed at, especially this one. I'm just going to read it very quickly. That says, I've also carried poop around in the city in my purse for a week before remembering I never mailed it for testing. And of course, <laughs> oh. I had to go back to the barn for more poop because it was too old at that point. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> so there are a lot of really good stories like that. Relatable ones, really silly ones, ones that will make you go, oh my God. So definitely read the, uh, read those if you are in our Facebook group. <laughs> All right, guys, it's time for Rose and Thorn. I actually have mine. So I, I have can... mine. Okay. Why don't you go so first? You can go. No, you go. You go. Okay. All right. Well, I'll start with my Rose because it has to do with your husband, actually. Oh, Jess. no. Oh, gosh. What happened now? So you called me out of the blue. Oh. And 
I don't remember what it was about. I just remember I was driving and we were, t- uh, Doug was mad because we took all of these uh, photos of our soap for dirty equestrians in my bathroom. And I staged them around a bathtub and we used Tick, Tick Maynard's book in the middle are the horsemen. You know, it's like, hey, when you take a bath, you're, you're using soap, you're reading a book, that kind of thing. And Doug was upset with me that I didn't highlight his book. He, he literally sent me a picture and said, who took this picture? Why is it not my book? Like he was, I was like, I'm sure it's Justine. I'll talk to her at some point. Like, I was like, this is ridiculous. I like cannot believe I'm having this conversation right now. And so I was like, well, I mean, you could have taken the picture and you could have uploaded something, but you chose not to. So he, we were talking about it. And for some reason we were talking about something and then, yeah, that came up. So I was calling you about something different. And then, yes, then I said, oh, by the way, Doug's mad at you. So then I had this whole conversation with Doug about it, about his book, which is a wonderful book, by the way. And now I own it because he sent it to me. <laughs> but <laughs> but the, where I'm getting at with this story is it moved on to this point where, did you know Doug's, Doug's book isn't a porno? Ellie, did you know this? It's what? featured, it's featured yep. in a porn. What? How, yes. What? Okay, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> All right. So my first question is why. My second is why do you know that? Oh, Doug, Doug sure? tells everybody this. Yeah. Like, how did Doug find out? Like, how was oh, this? Well, because did, our well, friend. Yeah, let me, let me explain. Yeah, you keep exactly. going. So the porn is called Unbridled, and it oh, is directed and features Stormy Daniels, a fellow eventer. Ah. And so in a scene, she is reading the book, and I have a photo of it that was sent <laughs> to me <laughs> that I'll send to you, Ellie. So. That is my rose, was learning that, one, Doug was mad at me, and two, that his book's been featured in a porn. (laughs) And now you have the book. (laughs) And now I have the book. Thank you, Doug. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I think that's a a happy hour first that we've talked about porn on the show. (laughs) I think so, yes. (laughs) So, anyways, my rose is a much sadder story. So, you guys know I have backyard chickens. One of our chickens got attacked. Her name is Nancy. She's hanging in there. She's doing okay. But right now she's living in a dog crate in my guest bedroom. And I really hope she pulls through. So I've been like, literally just before we started taping the podcast today, I was syringing water in her mouth. My poor chicken. I hope she makes it. So that's sad. Jess, what do you got? So I guess I will start with my, my thorn, uh, a lady that was like a good friend of mine who, was basically like a second mother to me for so long. Like when I was like in call high school and everything going to Florida, I'd go stay at her house, like doing homework and stuff. And then college, she just passed away. So that would be my thorn for sure. Cause it was really sad and she was loved in the eventing community. So it was just kind of unexpected, kind of sad news for this week. So really thinking about Susan this week. So that's definitely my thorn and then my rose is that it's getting into fall season and I love summer and I love the warm but fall in Aiken is one of my favorite times because just the seasons like it comes into Halloween and my birthday and everything else and so I am really excited to kind of do some fun fall things with Hudson, like go to the pumpkin patch and all stuff like that. So that's what I'm looking forward to is doing fun little things like that outside. Awesome. Yeah. All right, Ellie. Well, my rose is easy because I'm finally fixing my nightmare of an indoor arena. 
I've been dancing around with like a few different companies and like footing options. And I finally worked out like an awesome deal with a local company and it's going to be done by winter, which is really exciting because I haven't been able to do as much as I've wanted to do because the footing just hasn't been great. You know, it's either too slick or too deep. And like, no matter what I've done with it, it's just, (sighs) it's one of my, keeps me up at night, but finally getting it fixed. So I'm super excited, but my thorn (laughs) And probably Matt's thorn, too, is that I rescued another cat. (laughs) All right, you're getting out of control, Ellie. So this is the the fourth one, and this is the last one. I told, Matt told me that if I get another one that he's leaving. So, but I got this one, and he's like an eight-year-old, like, black and white tomcat. And he's just an old fart. But anyway, he's, so he's living out in the barn. But I'm really sad because he's got a cold. um, So he needs, like, oral meds every you know, 12 hours. So luckily he's not like really feral because that would would be bad, but it's just kind of annoying to do. So that would be my thorn, my thorn, definitely a thorn. So we're really excited to feature a local tax shop in the episode today. Tollbooth tax or Tollbooth saddle shop is a second generation family business run by a small group of women. And they've been in business since 1974. They are a primarily English tax shop, but they do have some Western items available. So if you're in the East Ampton area of New Jersey, you should check them out. They carry apparel, tack, and all horse care necessities, as well as a bunch of fun gift items. Um, you could check them out by going to shop.tollboothsaddle.com. And Tollbooth is T-O-L-L, booth, B-O-O-T-H, saddle.com. All right, Jess, so we have a mailbag that I think only you can talk about because you're the only one of us that have brought life into this world from your body. So, Amanda. <laughs> that was okay. the worst way to word that. That's I've what I was thinking, but heard. we're going to go with it. We're going to go can, with it. Can you tell I never want to be pregnant? <laughs> I, no. Just a little. Not at all. I, just no. a touch. I missed that. Amanda from our Facebook group wants to know, She's pregnant. She says morning sickness, and let's face it, usually all day long sickness for her, and barn chores and teaching lessons. How do you handle it? She's about eight weeks pregnant now. She runs her own boarding and lesson facility. And though some days she feels totally fine, there are definitely days where the struggle is real, where she's had to cancel lessons, she can barely help with stalls, and she just overall feels miserable. So Jess, as someone who's had one baby and is expecting another one, I guess, do you get morning sickness? How do you, how do you handle the long days in the barn? So I was really lucky. I actually did not get morning sickness with either of them, but I did have a little bit of an issue with my segment pregnancy that they wanted me to kind of keep it easy from weeks like seven to like 13, where I couldn't really do a lot because they were just worried. Um, I had a subcarotic hematoma, which was nothing, but it basically, they wanted to make sure it didn't move and then have me to cause a miscarriage and stuff. So I had to take it easy, which was really hard when I have a full day of lessons and all that. And, you know, I normally, I was riding with Hudson much past seven weeks. So I had to actually give up riding at seven weeks. So it was quite an adjustment for us to kind of me go and expect I could ride to not. So I think with the morning sickness, like there's things that, you know, I've heard like, some of my friends, like they eat crackers or they do things like they eat a lot of small meals to kind of maybe make the morning sickness not last as long. 
And for Amanda, the good news is, is usually is only the first trimester. So you're not too much longer before she gets into her second and hopefully kind of the morning sickness fades away. But also my big advice would be is to start leaning on people, like ask for people if the morning sickness is like at certain times or whatever, maybe in the middle of the day, you feel better. And that's kind of where I was feeling better during those weeks. So I'd have my lessons there. And then with Hudson, I just kind of try to make sure I had him taken care of and stuff like that, whether it's friends or whatever else, my mom was in town or, you know, our nanny comes sometimes. So like sort of that sort of thing is like relying on people so that I could kind of do that and make sure the barn work. But also my other thing was, is like, my recommendation would be is try to find somebody that maybe you could trade off them doing barn work for you teaching them or whatever, or showing them how to run a business and all that. So you can use kind of your tools and what you're really good at kind of as a trade-off so that maybe you're not doing all the stalls and everything. Cause maybe if you take it a little easier, if it's possible, maybe you'll start to feel a little better and then, you know, you can trade off in the end and it's kind of a win-win for everybody. So I think kind of in these times, we've really had to rely on our team and everybody to kind of be like, okay, look, I can't do it all anymore. So I had to kind of figure out a new way, if that sure. makes sense. Yeah, I'm so. sure it's got to be hard to ask for help when you're an yeah. independent, you know, self-starter person. But it's that sounds like a natural time when, hey, you got to ask for help, right? Yeah. And I mean, and even if it's like a small facility, there's always like something that they can give and kind of trade off. So maybe it's not like a big barn like ours or whatever else, but people still want to learn and they want to do other things. So like you could trade off even business sense and everything else that somebody might come in and help for a couple hours a day and just return for that. Gotcha. Well, so if you have a question for us and you'd like for us to answer it on air, you could send us an email at hello at heelsdownmedia.com. Or again, you can join our Facebook group, which is the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. And also don't forget, you should subscribe to the Heels Down Brief. You can do that by going to bit.ly slash hdbrief. And many thanks to our partners this week, which are Wall, Smart Pack, Oak Bark and Chrome, and Tollbooth Saddle Shop. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.